from Relevant Magazine. It's the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, February 1st, 2013. This is The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang. I, I was very proud of myself just then. I said February well. I, it's one of my words that I have trouble with. How do you with. say it? Fe- I try to pronounce every letter. I do too. February. 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 It's like the rural juror. The rural juror, yeah. <laughs> I have trouble with February and uh, brewery. And you and McGregor. And, and you. you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> But I have to think about it. It's like somebody with like a speech impediment. If you really think about it, maybe you can get it right. Also, another word like that is comfortable, which is really no. comfortable. 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 How come comfortable. Brits say? Is how, that? It's, is it? Are we allowed to call them Brits or is it the English? How how come Racist. Brits say <laughs> aluminium? Aluminium is for uh, for aluminum. aluminum. They're adding letters to it. Aluminium. I wouldn't even. If someone said, "Hand me that aluminium can," I would not know what. The, I would think, "Is there a can of like some kind of cool jet fuel around here?" Like, what? Are, what are they referring to? Like, I don't mind potato, potato. I don't mind changing the word altogether, calling it a calling it a lift instead of an elevator. Fine, you're your own people. Do your own thing, but don't pronounce a word by adding letters to it. You know what I'm saying? They're already yeah. more arti- articulate than us. The last thing we need them doing is adding letters we don't even know about. <laughs> like they already sound smarter just by they could they could repeat what I'm saying right now with their accent, and everyone would be like, "Man, that guy's that guy's pretty sharp." <laughs> now they're adding letters, and they're really making us look stupid. <laughs> it's like a secret handshake. They're they're leaving us out. Uh, here in our Orlando studios, over there is Maya Strang. Hello. Uh, to her left, Calvin Kearley. Hey. On the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, Chad Michael Snavely. Hello, friends. And on the audible.com line, all the way from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Audible.com is bringing you Jesse's wonderful humor and tones. Mm. Without their support, his, his shenanigans would not be possible. Audible is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. Uh, they have over 100,000 titles. You can download your books, uh, your audio books. You can uh, access them on your computer. You can burn them on the CDs, put them on your iPhones. Any way you want to listen to music or podcasts, they would be there. Uh, it's affordable. It's great. Uh, recent podcast guest whose books are available through audible.com, Shane Hips from last week. Uh, his Flickering Pixels book, which is a phenomenal book, is there. Um, audible is giving away a free audiobook. And a 30-day trial uh, If you go to relevant podcast listeners. If you go to this very specific URL, audiblepodcast.com slash relevant. They threw the podcast in there so they can track it. Um, audiblepodcast.com slash relevant. Go check it out. We thank them for their sponsorship. We have a great show for you today. Uh, coming up later, we talk to one of our favorite bands, Local Natives. It's coming up. Uh, we also talked to Caitlin Crosby of a cool organization based out in L.A. called The Giving Keys. Uh, definitely want to stay tuned for both of those. Okay, so now is when we go into entertainment releases, but the last few weeks is when I've given you my sleep update. Okay, mm-hmm. so so over the last week, we've had the, the magazine. It's going to print literally this afternoon, or it went yesterday, and my column's going this afternoon. Um, so I've been up late, and I'm, I'm, people are making fun of me on Twitter and stuff that I procrastinate and I'm doing music and stuff and that is true Uh, (laughs) I'm playing with music still and I'm putting off the tiling project but my procrastination led to an incredible opportunity on Saturday night so I was up around 2am I was in my office right by the front door and I could hear I could hear some voices outside so the uh, everything's shut off. You know, Maya's in bed. Cohen's in bed. Everything's shut off. It's 2 a.m. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to old school hip-hop at my computer, and I could hear voices outside. And I thought, we have a park across the street from our house. And, and, and I thought, man, there's those teenagers hanging out in the playground again. And, you know, they need to keep it down. I got a sleeping kid, you know. And so I was... I got up because it was pretty loud. I got up and I was walking toward the front door just to turn the porch lights on, just kind of like, you know, scatter the cockroaches, so to speak. 
And and I was walking toward the front door, and all of a sudden, our doorbell starts you know ringing really loud. And they they were you know ding and run sort of thing. And so I'm standing right there, and so like it's like bam 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 bam, and I flip the lights on, you know, like right when <laughs> right when they're doing it, and then you hear them like whoop, and they like take off, right? Yeah. Maya comes out like what's going on, and I'm like it's you know kids, you know whatever. So I open it's the ruffians. I think I said what's going on? Not what's going on? Yeah, well she was dead asleep, so she's like who's here at two a.m. sort of thing. I said, it's fine, it's kids. I got this, Maya. So I go outside, <laughs> and I'm and I'm just standing on the porch, just. Like Hawkeyes, just like everything's dark across the street. You know, we have a baseball field playground to the left. There's like a hill. And on the other side of the hill, there's a parking lot, you know, for the park. And then our street, you know, my friend. And so like, I'm just Hawkeyes. I'm like, did they run toward the playground? Mm -hmm. Did they go to the left? And I could hear scurrying to the left. So I go down on the sidewalk (laughs) and I just, and I'm in a hoodie and, you know, a hat and a hoodie and and my, you know, track pants and everything's like dark. And so I'm just like standing there. You sound like your hoodie pulled up over with the hat and track pants. Sounds like you're going to get in like a kung fu fight with one of these. Exactly. So I wanted them to know Mm -hmm. I'm there. I'm up. Don't mess with my house. I have a kid who's asleep, you know. And so I'm like, I'm walking the sidewalk, you know, just kind of prowling like a panther, right? And all of a sudden I hear in the parking lot a car door. And I'm like, boom, done. So I start going over there. And I'd like to say, at this time, I walk back out. Our door to our front, the front of the house is open. I look out and see Cameron just hauling butt over the, <laughs> over the field. So thinking, you run yes. towards he the He runs door. towards Absolutely. Them. I see him just haul, just I running. didn't know what my end game was, but I was going to confront him. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, so so anyway, they, they were all scrambling. A couple guys were still running. One guy started the car, and the other guys were still running to get in. And and I I crest over the hill, and I see them. And so and they're seeing the outline of you backlit. That, it was very the shadowy about character. This. Yes, and so, like steam rising right. from like a sewer. Yeah. So at like that point, danger zone. At that point, I start walking right. like um, No Country for Old Men, like that terrifying guy mm-hmm. who just yeah. walks slowly and will just oh, kill you. Yeah. So now that I've crested and I know they see the shadowy figure, I start walking intentionally, deliberately, and slowly toward them. And so I'm coming down the hill, and at the bottom of the hill, there's a, a light post at the sidewalk. Mm right at the edge of the uh, parking lot. And so by the time I'm coming down the hill, they'd all gotten in the car. The car's like backing out and then it has to kind of come like the light post that I come up to is, is, is in this little drive on the way out of the parking lot. They have to go right by me. And so the car is coming toward me just as I am getting into the light of the lamppost. You know, Please I, I tell emerge. me this is how it ends. You yell, don't start where you can't finish! And you jump on the hood of their car. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 like, I'm, I'm emerging into the lamppost light. The car, you know, backed out and starts to face the lamppost. They see me. The car stops. Like, they just stop. And there's this, like, three or four seconds stare down, like... What's this dude gonna do? Does he have a gun? You know, that, and so like then they um so I'm standing there and I th- and I thought I just want them to know that I see your faces <laughs> and I know your license plate. Don't you dare come up! So I started to continue to walk toward their car, clearly showing that I am identifying all of you, right? <laughs> and they sped the heck out of there, went down the street, it saw them turn left. I mean, they went probably 80 miles an hour down the you know leaving our parking lot. And I just, I just wanted to spook the kids. I didn't, sure. I didn't honestly have any end game. I just wanted to terrify them because I was that kid. Like I, right. I was the guy who's teepeeing houses and sudsing fountains, and I know the adrenaline rush I gave them, and they're probably still talking yeah. about it. I was going to say, having been on the so- the other side of the old ding dong ditch and <laughs> and various other late night pranks on unsuspecting homes and neighbors, that's the optimal situation yeah. the guy comes out and chases you that's yeah. what's fun about yeah it. yeah yeah i don't i wanted to, i actually just wanted them i wanted to i wanted them to catch a sense of me mm-hmm. and then like and then like i want to spook them mm-hmm. you know i wasn't gonna scream i wasn't gonna whatever i just wanted to have this kind of cold deathly stare that let them know you screw with my house again this won't end well that's right y- you know it's sort of like the first that dark knight movie <laughs> Like Batman Begins. Yeah. It's for the concept 
of fear. Right. Mm-hmm. That's making yeah. them afraid. You, right. you, you know, you know, Cameron came up and goes like the guys like loading into his car and they're like, oh, man, I think we lost them. Cameron rises like the, the, the passenger seat is lowered and he raises it back up and he's like, you sure you want to do this again? <laughs> That's the ultimate. Yeah. What yeah. if I just ran and got in the, the car Batman with them? voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, See, what, what, what you're doing is you're now you're a symbol. <laughs> in, in the neighborhood, exactly. you know, they're gonna have like wanted signs downtown Baldwin Park. Like, have you seen this? You know, vigilante, the, the hoodman. Yeah, the neighbors start, are gonna start to turn on you, but that's okay. You're right. a symbol of justice yeah, and fear. That's right. Your symbol is track pants. I'm, <laughs> I'm the protector of the park yeah. after 10 p.m. when the, when it's supposed to be closed. I kind of feel like maybe we'll get more. Because they're gonna be like, let's do, yeah, yeah, mess with that guy. Let's watch, let's watch him come out and run after yeah. him again. Well, the other thing I do, my other major tactic is, if people are screwing with my house, they shouldn't be in front of my house or whatever. I will turn on like the dining room light, and I will just go stand in the window and slowly <laughs> open the blinds so they can see oh, the outline so of me standing there oh watching them. And like, I don't do anything. I don't flick the lights on. I just stand there and I don't move. I stand there. And then you know what? It makes them really uncomfortable, and they leave. I, I every think time. that I think that even if they were, if it was like the daytime, and, and it's just regular people in the park doing that would make them very uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> yeah, parents are like, I just want my kid to go on the swings. No, no. nope. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a figure in a window in the house across the street, just motionlessly staring at them. <laughs> so, is that the symbol? That's so the symbol. I'm afraid. Is that the hoodman? <laughs> the hoodman. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, so the moral of the story is um, if you procrastinate and stay up really late doing things that are completely pointless, you might stumble onto some vigilante opportunities. <laughs> so, I was up late one night. I was having trouble sleeping or watching TV or something. And about 2.30 in the morning, a car pulled up to the people across the street. And it was just a guy rifling through their garbage. <laughs> I thought that was weird, but I chose not to investigate. I thought, look, there's a guy... If there's a guy driving around the middle of the night rifling through the garbage, like the night he knows when garbage day is and he drives out the night before to rifle through people's, I don't think I want to mess with that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's let, true. Let, let him do his thing, you know? <laughs> Did he look like a quirky detective with an overcoat on or something? Like he, pacing he, around? Yeah, he's he a private investigator. A, uh, yeah, yeah, he's he a actually PI. had a monocle and he was expecting, inspecting sure. uh, old letters. That's probably what it was. <laughs> All right. Time for entertainment releases. Music coming out on Tuesday, February 5th. Holly Williams is coming out with The Highway. We have a lot of stuff coming out. Be on the lookout. That's another Charlie Peacock produced album. Oh. Charlie Peacock produced The Civil Wars and The Lone Bellow. Now Holly Williams. Uh, Daniel Basta, uh, podcast friend Daniel Basta, worship leader, is coming out with The Invisible. That's coming out. Red is coming out with Release the Panic. That could be your theme. That's song. what I want to do. I, I, that's what I would like to do. Release the panic and all that. It's kind of your motto. The neighborhood <laughs> hoodlums. Uh, Sanctus Rio with Run. I also could use that as yep. my theme song. Uh, Eels with Wonderful Glorious. Frightened Rabbit, which is what I'd like the neighborhood kids to feel like. Uh, with Pedestrian Verse. That's coming out. Man, it's a lot of stuff. Only a couple more. Matt Pond uh, with The Lives Inside the Lines in Your Hand. Lives inside the lines in your hand. Tao and the get down, stay down with We the Common and our pick of the week, Unknown Mortal Orchestra with two. Movie release is coming out Friday, February 8th. Really? Yep. Really. <laughs> Top Gun, an IMAX 3D experience. What? <laughs> Amazing. Say what? <laughs> uh, also going out, Identity Thief with Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy, which will either be incredible and hilarious or absolutely terrible. I know. There's no yeah, in between on true. this movie. It's true. That's true. It's going to either be like that Barbara Streisand, Seth Rogen road trip movie or hilarious. Or like Bridesmaids or something. Yeah. 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 Um, also coming out, uh, last but not least, Side Effects with Channing, last and least, uh, Channing Tatum, Runa Mara, Jude Law. If it has Channing Tatum in it, I say last and least. <laughs> Just naturally. All right, that'll do it for entertainment releases. Stay tuned. Up next, Slices. Goodbye. I don't want to. 
listening to Tegan and Sarah. The song is Goodbye, Goodbye from their new album, Hearthrob. Right. <laughs> uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you heard Surfer Blood with Weird Shapes from their upcoming album. Okay, it's time for Slices. Um, you bring another serious one this week, Jesse? No, I have one. Well, it's not. It's certainly <laughs> not serious, Super. but it's not totally absurd either. Well, it is a little absurd. Um, <laughs> uh, this is thanks to a listener who sent this in. Uh, this is a, a really great uh, slice. Let me get the listener's name. Hang on. From via Twitter. Uh, sent from Tim Rhodes. And he sent us a link to uh, a story on the Onions AV Club, which is the non-satirical pop culture side of the Onion. And they were informing the internet about a new Kickstart campaign. And I know we have uh, different opinions about Kickstarter campaigns that try to raise money uh, for different projects that generally is just done by uh, amateurs in the, in, in the public, not Hollywood filmmakers. But the, the idea is to raise money about a documentary um, that looks at what happened to a mysterious Superman movie. Oh, yes. I've heard about this. <laughs> that was, uh, was being conceived of in the late 90s. Let me tell you a little bit about this movie, and you can, you can decide whether there should be a documentary that explores what exactly happened to it. It, would, it was written by Kevin Smith. The, the script was completed. It was to be directed by Tim Burton, and it was going to star Nicolas Cage. No. What? Now, tens As of millions really? of dollars. In the yeah. 90s? Yeah, this was going to be in the late 90s. Okay. Um, and it was going to be called The Death of Superman. Oh, it was gonna be, sorry. It's going to be called Superman Lives. And it's going to be a really dark, kind of weird twist on the Superman story. Now, tens of millions of dollars were spent in the pre-production stages of this film. So there's a lot of weird artwork that kind of Tim Burton and Kevin Smith came up with. Mm -hmm. um, there is some models that are based on set pieces in the script. And most fascinatingly, there are pictures of Nicolas Cage <laughs> in some bizarre uh, takes on the Superman outfit. That still this. exists. So a lot of a lot of the pre-production work was already done on the film when the uh, plug ended up getting pulled. And the, like I said, the the original film was going to come out in 1998 called Superman Lives. So there's a current filmmaker who has made a few documentaries. He's from Los Angeles. He is seeking to raise uh, ninety eight thousand dollars to make this documentary called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? And he claims he's going to be able to get interviews with Kevin Smith, with Tim Burton, and hopefully even Nicolas Cage, who's reportedly a pretty big Superman fan. He even named his son Cal-El, uh, mm. the reference to Superman's father in uh, Superman lore. So he's already raised $44,000, and he has 39 days to go to raise the 98000 Ladies and gentlemen, this is why the internet was invented. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have, Maya? Um, I have a uh, slice. Actually, it was on the on the website earlier this week. If if you didn't see it, um, a a pastor refused to do a tip because it's not fair to God. He went to a restaurant and it had about twenty people. And when it came, when the bill came, it, like he had twenty people in his party. Yes, twenty people in his party. I guess he was all paying for it. Maybe it was a staff lunch or dinner or something. And saw that they automatically, you know, parties over six usually they do like an eighteen yeah. percent gratuity. Yeah, sure, of course. Well, apparently he didn't know that, so he he said he wasn't going to pay that. So he told them to break it out into each individual check. So they did that, but it's still it still is a huge party. So they still put on the eighteen percent, and he actually wrote through it. Crossed it out, the tip, put 0%, rewrote the total they're going to pay, and he says, I give God 10%. Why do you get 18%? Hmm. Crazy. This is a really banner a couple weeks here for Christians uh, in the public space, you know. Yeah. Looking, looking really Christ-like there, Pastor. Exactly. Awesome. I mean, I would think that'd be really embarrassing if you were at the table with this guy. 
this pastor and he's doing that obviously it upset the people enough that people put it on twitter and are making a deal about it do you have an agenda in this because you you know we met because you were working in the service industry i mean well it's like it it pays to tip you gave me a ten dollar tip on a seven dollar bill and look where it got you it's true Hmm. she knew i liked her because i got a burger seven bucks and i left her ten dollar tip right just that saying. is a that's a generous step. It is a generous step. Did you leave a track with that? No, my phone number. I had I had an agenda. <laughs> I had a plan. Your agenda. I would was razzle and dazzle her with my your ten dollars tips with my immense wealth. <laughs> 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 All right, what do you that's have coming? Well, today I'd like to talk about the uh, similarities between Papa John's Pizza and the epic Les Miserables story. Oh, oh. you may not have known that they were intertwined. <laughs> But they are. All right. Well, first, do you remember the the first few minutes of Les Miserables, the recent movie that came out, and then like the first uh, few chapters of the book? Wait, if you say remember, I do remember. If you if you're referring to falling asleep when the trailer first came, right? Out. That's the one. Yeah. So <laughs> while you were asleep, the character Jean Valjean has been in prison. He's uh, he's getting out, and he has a a paper that basically has to show everyone he's a criminal and uh, he can't get anywhere. He finally finds. Uh, a place to sleep at a, at a church. Uh, Bishop gives him a room to sleep at, uh, feeds him, and he uh, ends up stealing from the bishop. He steals uh, all, all the fine silver and everything. And uh, he ends up getting caught. The police bring him back to the bishop to return the silver, and the bishop says, no, no, he didn't steal it. I gave it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you forgot the, the candlesticks. These the, the last you know, wealth that this bishop had, and he, he basically bought Jean Valjean's soul and made him a changed man. Well, the same thing basically happened at Papa John's last week. <laughs> basically, um, a uh, a would be robber goes into a Papa John's to steal the cash from the from the safe, and ends up before like completing the robbery, he breaks down crying, and says to the person at Papa John's that you know I'm just doing this for my wife and my kid, you know my family, just to give them some money, and then he has like immediately remorse for it. So the person at Papa John's says, you know what, that's okay, and they make him a pizza. And they sent him off with pizza, wings, soda, breadsticks, everything you could want. And they never pressed charges. And they like really? sent, they told the cops a description of this man um, because they were afraid like he might try to do something again. But uh, he left <laughs> come with... come back every Thursday for his food. <laughs> right. He left with the spoils of the entire Papa John's menu. And wow. um, it's basically... Like Les Miserables. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a contemporary so, <laughs> version. Right. Did, so, he, did he sing tearfully? It, I, know, I don't think it could be some kind of interactive theater troupe just kind of performing Les Miserables in a new way, or it might be a legitimate story. But either way, it, uh, it was a delicious thing to read. <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's it? Yeah. No list? Do good deeds. No list. Do good deeds. Changing it up. Do good deeds in this world. and deeds and tip your waiter. Tip your waiter. Unsuccessfully rob your Papa John's, I think is what the moral of the story here. So so I have a slice. I have the newspaper in front of me, and it reminded me about something I've been hearing about lately. So have you guys, you guys know about 3D printing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the MakerBot and stuff. So apparently at the CES conference uh, last month, like one of the big things is like the evolution of the the 3D home printers. You know, so like MakerBots is basically it squirts melted plastic resin, you know, and then you got to like, you know, it, it, whatever. It's very crude. But apparently now like there's a new level of them where they're, they can use different materials or it can use lasers to like shape things in different ways and whatever. I've been reading about like, people future casting kind of like how this is going to revolutionize everything Hmm. and the sense of this like if you project out like 10 or 20 years you'll be able to like now you can buy an album and download it you'll be able to buy a part for your car or you'll be able to buy something online download it and print it out and so the implications in the pirate world the pirate bay type you know all that kind of stuff uh, is pretty massive because they started saying like what about you know what if it comes to the point where like you could you know basically steal the plans for the iPhone 17 and print out your own iPhone you know and all this kind of stuff so so this is then one of the people in the industry was saying like within 20 years you'll be able to buy and print out your sneakers like like the materials will be that refined and stuff which it's is, almost like paying for a software license like the transaction right? right right and so right now because it's a burgeoning young so there's like all these fights about well, what should be kind of the universal rules of digital rights management and all this kind of stuff, you know, like, you know, to kind of prevent, you know, this from 
going the uh, pirate route. But yeah. anyway, what, one of the implications I was in the paper this morning is the uh, uh, guns. People are there's plans for guns out there now. People are printing out these Glock plastic guns, mm-hmm. and they're they're do, they're printing out guns and using them and committing crimes with these one off guns. They're 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 made out of plastic, so they don't last very long. And so like the crimes. Like they uh, they break down after the crime, so there's like no trace of the weapon. But they don't actually fire. Yes, yes. they fire. Well, how does the printer manufacture the interiors of? Well, it, uh, just like it, it, you know, you have an egg and there's yeah. a yolk inside it, so it'll start printing at the bottom, and then it would print the interior, and then the shell. Or, or sometimes it, they print in different parts, and you assemble. And it. You would assemble it, right? That would mm-hmm. be the other part. So, wow. bringing it back to Caruso, uh, CSI New York, mm-hmm. not not his CSI, but CSI New York. Um, they did this recently in one of the CSI recent- New York. Yes, did Seriously? this. Yes, where somebody and like they were all confused because there was no um, striations on the bullet because it you know, doesn't have it, I guess. And they saw the next person that was shot with it. It actually exploded, so it only worked for two bullets. Yeah, and that's how I, they I, I've, back. from what I've read, there as far as three D printing firearms is that it, they're still relatively unreliable. Because, right. <laughs> I mean, there's only one way to test them. Right. You know. So uh, but the other one. danger is, too, uh, is there a lot of them aren't perceptible to metal detectors. Ooh. Because, awesome. they're, you know, some, a lot of them are made out of plastic. Yeah, so I, it would be the parts thing is the primary way of doing it. Mm-hmm. You'd print out a bunch of parts and assemble it yourself. Assemble it yourself. Oh, the other thing is they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, like, entire cars would be printed completely custom on demand. You don't have to... They didn't talk about this in Back to the Future when he went to the future, so I'm not so sure about it. Uh, Yeah, but they did have hoverboards. I actually listened to a (laughs) TED Talk about this a while back. The next breakthrough will be the company that's able to simplify the code and make the technology affordable because the technology's there. That's what's happening. Uh, Little industries like MakerBot have made the printer affordable, about $2,000. And, and, and as developing a software community where you can go into the MakerBot ecosystem, find the item you want, you download it, and, and print it. I mean, like, so it is going to be a thing just like software and music where there will be a person or somebody who creates the thing, and then that thing, then you just hit click. You download it and print it, and you, you now have that item. I'm just thinking about literally, like, how fundamentally it'll change our cities and change our lives. And and nobody's really talking about it. It's kind of this obscure kind of like sci-fi stuff, mm-hmm. but it's here. And it was a major thing at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas last month. I mean, you're still buying the item. You know, you still sure. buy your iPhone, but they don't ship it to you. You, you, you. you print it out at your house. That's insane. But that's reality and mm-hmm. it's coming. And that's... I don't know. It's exciting in some respects, but I, I just think while it's exciting, everybody's like, oh, awesome. How easy, how simple. Like you don't think about the fact that then you don't need a physical Apple store and you don't think need a mall. You don't need, you know, there's, it's just the ripple effects of this is going to fundamentally change the physical landscapes in our cities and our country. It's interesting. It is interesting, especially when you're talking about the, the when it comes to the medical implications of prosthetics or right. even I- if they could do things on the nano level. There, have, you, have you heard of a, there's a documentary, I think it's called The Transcendent Man um, or The Singularity is Near is the book it's based on by this guy right. who basically believes, he's a futurist, that essentially there's a, what he calls a singularity will be a moment where our technology becomes indecipherable from our biology. Right. Where at one point, technology and biology will merge to this point of singularity where, you know, whether it's limbs or, like I said, nanotechnology that is fighting virus that you can inject that will fight viruses, that our technology will become sophisticated enough that it'll merge with biology. But I could see 3D printing in a way you can think of it like, well, I had a thought, and I can literally manifest it with this piece of technology. Well, the the thing about the uh, singularity is stuff that is coming. And when we in 2010, we did a special section called 2020, and like kind of looking at the next ten, the next decade. And one of the contributors was bioethicist Nigel Cameron, who talked about how the greatest challenge facing the Christians in the coming decade is actually to define life and the soul because technology has gotten to the point where within a short amount of time, they will be able to create life. And so, I mean, obviously cloning sheep, this, that, whatever, but human life. 
And so he's saying that fundamentally is a worldview paradox that Christians have to reconcile because, you know, we believe the difference between us and a dog is we have a soul, you know? And if this thing is, this human entity is man-made, not God-created, what is it? Is it is it a life? Is it a soul? Or is it essentially a biological robot, you know? And, and that the moment of singularity is is seen by uh, scientists as as the ultimate goal. It's almost, I mean, like Hitler's Aryan race. It's like the perfect human can be created. We can fix ourselves. We never have to die. It's a, it's a very humanistic strive for eternal life, essentially. And it is coming. And it's not like way 50 years down the road. I agree with you, Jesse. This 3D printing thing, I think, merges strongly with it because think about it will be able to, you know, down to the cellular level, construct things. So think about a person who, you know, you have an embryo that it shows genetically is going to have Down syndrome. You just can get in there and fix it. You know, you can Mm -hmm. alter life. You can go ahead and create a DNA strand that, you know, through this little printing technology, create a DNA strand and then test tube baby. And, you know, I mean, like, this is reality and it's here. And right now it's, it's taken shape of crude handguns that people are printing out and, and, uh, at their homes and, 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 you know, using as weapons. But I mean, you know how quickly your technology changes and prices drop and interest rises and it, the far reaching implications are just vast and nobody's really talking about it. If you have uh, access to the New York Times website, it was in Wednesday's paper where they did a, um, a look at the gun aspect of this. And Jesse said there's a TED Talk. There's there's a number of articles recently about the CES show. If you want to find out more, I'd say go. the more educated we can get as Christians, the more the more we need to be informed about what's going on because I really feel like the reality of culture, um, ethics, um, worldview is something we need to <laughs> you know not lag behind and be very aware of what's happening out there. Yeah. And the futurist I was referring to is named Raymond Kurzweil, and he's written a couple of books. He's not a Christian. He's, he, I believe he's an atheist, but uh, interesting thoughts either way and with implications for no matter what your beliefs are. But one of his books was called The Singularity is Here, When Humans Transcend Biology, and the other one's called The Age of Spiritual Machines. Hmm. Uh, but a really interesting guy. Really interesting. I think what we've done is we've uncovered uh, the plot of the first Hoodman movie. <laughs> which will be fighting off Terminators that people print in their home in your neighborhood. With guns that I print in my home. Right, yeah. Hey, it looks like that gun's about to backfire. <laughs> <laughs> and in the back of it, shooting kids on fire. Yeah. Because I made it in my house. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have only half a gun? I ran out of ink. <laughs> yeah, printer jammed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay tuned. Up next, local native. You're listening to Totally Totally, which is uh, our friends Flynn Adam and Joey the Jerk from LA Symphony. It's our new group. The song is "Gotta Get Mine." Sperry's. Uh, it's about, uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it's about uh, guys spending their last dollars on uh, cool new shoes that come out. Mm-hmm. That is Flynn. That is Flynn. Flynn, I'm sure, is the lyricist on this song. <laughs> Flynn has an amazing shoe collection and at the time of procuring it was also broke. So I don't know what his current financial status is, but he had amazing shoes. Because he spent his last twenty dollars on shoes. Well, every every writing about his experiences. So. Speaking of writing from your life experiences, our next group, Local Natives, is an indie rock band from LA. Their debut album, Gorilla Manor, which sounds terrifying, uh, was released back in two thousand ten and is awesome. Uh, I hate comparing bands, but if you have to, Arcade Fire, Fleet Foxes, Vampire Weekend, maybe a West Coast Grizzly Bear, all would come to mind. Their brand new album, Hummingbird was produced by Aaron uh, Dessner of The National and was just released last week. It is absolutely great. There's a feature on Local Natives in the current issue of Relevant. Go check that out. And then for like extras and more flavor, more color, listen to this interview. Uh, our very own managing editor, Tyler Huckabee, recently spoke to him. This is Taylor Rice and Kelsey Iyer of Local Natives.
most of the new album in New York with Aaron Desner from The National. How did that decision like come around? We were uh, toying with the idea of working with uh, an actual producer like for, for, for this record because we, we wrote um, the whole last record ourselves and we haven't ever really had someone else in on the creative process before. So we tried a couple out and um, it didn't really totally feel right. Um, and then this sort of thing with Aaron kind of happened organically uh, as you know a lot of this record has happened for us um, but we went on tour with the National it was just like seven dates like a short tour um, in December of last year and we really hit it off with Aaron and he like produces and does all the National stuff he just produced like Sharon Van Etten's record and so it was becoming like we, we realized that he could actually like you know be a big help with this record and we kind of toyed around with the idea with him and he seemed interested and it worked out with his um, timing. Working with him immediately felt right because I think he comes from a very collaborative um, place with working with his like bandmates and it, when he describes it it seems like a very similar situation as it is with us. I think it, it worked out really well because um, he wasn't like straight ahead like producer producer but he was like a, a songwriter that we respected perspective it seems like in the span of one album you went from being just this little indie band in LA to being on the main stage does it feel that way to you too it's a mix like yes definitely I, I don't I think that like we're so grateful and and kind of amazed at what our first record was able to achieve and the fact that we've played in over a dozen countries to tons of people and you know, we, we've got a tour with some of our kind of heroes, and we've also gotten to play at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles with an orchestra, just all these amazing things. But also, we've been together, like Kelsey, Ryan, and I have been playing music together for over 10 years now, or about 10 years, I think. You know what I mean? It's not as if, like, the band formed and then took off. We've, we've definitely been working together for a really, really long time. first album was really positive and optimistic and I think people really liked that but you've branched out from that sound a little bit on your new album was that a purposeful decision like the years since making Gorilla Manor you know we've seen all these amazing things come true for like you know any hard-working band that like they want recognition they want like to put out something that people will like and all this stuff happened for us so it was like this amazing amazing like rise that you know we're so grateful for um and then in the midst of that you know there were some times that were really trying and you know the touring was like there was a lot of it and it definitely took a toll on the band and you know and then personal stuff from last year and I, I think there were a lot of a lot more heavier themes that we needed to process that came through on this record that I don't think people are going to be able to say that it's as sunny or bright as the last one 
we definitely dug deeper for this one and it's it's darker but i i still think there are like uh there is a sense of hope there's a sense of like something coming through that like there's still a joy there that i think people will be able to get but it's just not so surface level to keep myself from second guessing people to take away from your music whether one of your live shows or just from the new album well i think that um especially in the live context and both of them are very different i think listening to a record and then going to a show and being in sort of a community and a physical space with a bunch of people literally physically feeling the music at the same time and there's sort of a compounded or amplified energy that happens there and and I think so maybe a little different but I, I think maybe it's the same goal or I was thinking about the live context and I think that it's it's the joyful outlook on life that to me like Kelsey was talking about how this album definitely has darker themes on it than the first album does but it still feels like an affirmation and my favorite shows that I've gone to and had a physical experience that's how I feel after that show and so I think that's kind of the goal it's almost you want to be like attack the audience with that or something like an aggressive positivity That was Local Natives. Check them out at thelocalnatives.com or on Twitter at Local Natives. listening to Duquette Johnston. The song is Dancing Song. I was first introduced to our next guest by a mutual friend, uh, photographer Jeremy Cowart. He just shot us an email one night and said, uh, Cameron, you need to know Caitlin. Caitlin, you need to know Cameron. Here you go. And uh, we started talking and I found out about her organization called The Giving Keys. It's just phenomenal. Caitlin Crosby uh, is a singer, songwriter, and actress living in L.A., um, and got the idea f- back in 2010 to start this organization. It's really cool. What the Giving Keys does is they employ people transitioning out of homelessness to engrave uh, recycled keys, like house keys and stuff. They get sold and shared around the world. So what they engrave the keys with is a unique message, like they'll put hope or strength or dream or courage. And so you wear the key, you know, on the necklace, you know, you have the key and it's kind of, it says, you know, strength or something like that. And when you encounter someone else who needs that message, the message that's on your key, you're told to give it to them, give it away, and then tell that person's story, carry their story with you. The Giving Keys started in 2010 after Caitlin encountered Rob and Sarah on Hollywood Boulevard holding a sign that said, Ugly, Broken, Hungry. After taking them to dinner and learning that Sarah loved to make jewelry, Caitlin asked them to be her business partners. It's a really cool thing that they're doing. It's catching a lot of buzz. You're starting to see them in retail stores. Uh, you can find out more at thegivingkeys.com. Our very own Stephanie Smith recently spoke to her. Here is Caitlin Crosby. So the Giving Keys started with Rob and Sarah, and they started working for you. And now you have 15 homeless individuals working for you. So is the idea to give them a source of income to transition them into a new life? Yes, and um, so we didn't want it to be like, you know, proceeds from sales go to this. We wanted to, yes, create jobs 
for them, you know, so they can build their resume and start saving money. And, you know, we've, we've helped people open their first bank accounts, just taking that next step. And I think a lot of these people are natural born leaders. They have gold inside of them. They're amazing, but they, it's just some of it, they've lost a lot of hope in their life. So it's just been laying dormant and just, a lot of times when we, when I watch them engrave, it, you know, we're doing the word dream. I'm like, okay, everyone do the word dream. I'm like, okay, now everyone go around, like, as you're doing, as you're engraving it, the word, think about your dreams. And like, everyone say out loud what, what you're looking forward to and some of your dreams that you have in life. And okay, now we're doing faith. Like, tell, like, say out loud things that you have faith in or love. Who do you love in your life? Share, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of just always wanting to encourage everybody while they're making it so it's not just like a mindless job or anything. There are a lot of organizations that create products that they sell and then the proceeds go to a good cause. But your model has a unique approach in that you do sell a product, but then you ask people to give it away. So why was that important to you in this effort? I grew up going to this church, uh, where youth group and church, and, and uh, one of my first favorite memories I have was I was probably in high school and I said, this woman, we were in the parking lot, she was maybe in her 40s or 50s, and I said, oh wow, I love your earrings. They're so beautiful. And they were beautiful, like pearls and kind of look crystally or maybe fake diamonds or something. I don't know. They were just exquisite. And, and I said, I love your earrings. And she said, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to give these to you. They both, they're for you. They're meant for you. And it just made me think of, I don't know what the exact scripture is, but something along the lines of, you know, sharing our possessions and selling what we have to give right. to the people in our community that, that have need or have black. And, and I think it's just, it was always ingrained in my head to give away what we have, you know, and I had so many amazing friends that would do that too. And we all just kind of would be like, oh, you like this? Here, you can have it, even if we loved it ourselves. Mm. So I think my my goal is to create that mentality for everybody, like creating a sharing mentality that, you know, and, and, and it's been really cool because so many people write in saying, I didn't think I would ever give this away because I loved it so much because either they bought it for themselves or somebody had given it to them when it was so meaningful, you know, when if, if someone gave it to them, right. they're going to do that hard time. And they always say, I never thought I'd be able to give it away. But then I was talking to so-and-so and they were going through, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I just knew that I was supposed to give it to them. Usually everyone, you just know when it's the right person at the right time. I grew up in Beverly Hills. I went to Beverly Hills High School and my, in my experience, the, the richest people in the world are the most unhappy people in the world. And people mm. that have the most things are the most uh, unhappy because those things don't fulfill. So I think it obviously brings so much more joy when you know that you're giving it to somebody that needs it more than you do. Could you just tell me one story of one of your keys that has been given away that has really made a difference? Yeah, I think my favorite one was there was a girl that was wearing Courage for a while. And then um, she heard that her roommate was trying to commit suicide. And she got a call, uh, I think, from like a seven to two hour watch. Okay. Suicide place. And so she was there. So uh, this girl went over and was sitting with her. And this girl had just lost everything. She, her grandma just died. She lost her job. Her boyfriend broke up with her. What, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And just lost all hope in life. And so this girl came and gave her her courage key. And then the new recipient was wearing it and, you know, she was crying. And then the, the, the people at the facility had to do a check where they, she had to take off everything that was sharp and anything, everything that she was wearing and all, you know, jewelry and this and that and uh, to be safe. And for some reason, she said it was so weird. They didn't see the key or they didn't realize it or they just forgot or something. And so they 
they on accident let her keep it on. So she said the whole time she was there, she was just holding mm-hmm. on to it the whole time. And then she recently wrote in and, and said that she, six months later, same thing. She never thought she'd be able to give it away because it meant so much to her. Because now she, you know, gotten through to the other side and and uh, started going to church with a roommate and now has a new job, has a new boyfriend, etc. And then just gave the key away to somebody else that was going through a similar situation that she was going through before. That was Caitlin Crosby. Find out more at thegivingkeys.com or follow them on Twitter at thegivingkeys. You're listening to Alan Stone. The song is Sleep. It's time for your feedback. Last week we asked you, well, I I uncovered the mixtape that I made Maya back in late 2000 mm-hmm. to woo her. It, it, it was perfectly crafted. <laughs> it, um, it it spanned the, the range of my interests, my personality. It told a story. It let her get to know me in a way that... Words could not. It said, it was called, hello, my name is Cameron. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, we, it got us talking about music and, you know, missteps along the way in the last (laughs) decade of music. Uh, We wanted to know your ideal late year 2000 mixtape. You guys went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com and on our Facebook page and uh, posted your tracks there. We're going to read some of our favorites and play some clips. This will be fun. Uh, Christine Schofield uh, said, Ah, Millennial Love, and then uh, noted some of her favorites that would uh, adorn this mixtape. Starting with track one, the the single uh, from Everclear, AM Radio. Now, I used to like uh, the band Everclear, but not that particular song. Uh, the, from the band Cake, Stick Shifts, and Safety Belts. Cake is another cool band from that era. Elliot Smith, of course. Somebody I used to know. Uh, Lauren Hill, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Uh, Matthew Sweet, Father Down. Pete Yorn, the song Strange Condition. Ben Fold Five's Magic. Mm-hmm. Casey Chambers, Last Hard Bible. Uh, I mean, you're the flying through things. these. Hold on, you got to slow down so Chad can play a few of them. Not now, but I mean, just like I, I don't want to play any of the any of those. Though <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you when to stop, Jesse. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Bare Naked Ladies are on here. Nope. Weedus. Nope. If bare naked ladies make it's an appearance, been, it's not gonna. Six days it's not mean. good for wooing. Yeah, Jamiric uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wise, virtual insanity. Chad, cue that up, please. <laughs> <laughs> If Jamiroquai's yeah, Virtual Insanity video. was one of the coolest music videos of all time. Right. I agree. He's where, he, despite the hat, it is one of the coolest music videos of all time. Uh, Phil Winter on our podcast page, he, I just have to read this, it's amazing. I don't have any good ideas for a mixtape, but I once did get a mixtape from a girl who I thought was just a friend. It was a nice tape, except that instead of the artist singing the songs, it was her singing every song a cappella, and each one was pretty sexual. It was very awkward the next time I saw her. <laughs> can you goodness. send this to us so Chad can cue yeah, it up? Can, can we, Chad, please play one of these songs? <laughs> cue it up. Oh my goodness. How vulnerable did she just make herself? She, she totally put, put herself she out put there. She put it out there, and, and he did not pick it up. You know what I'm saying? Oh my gosh. <laughs> he didn't awesome. pick up what she was throwing down. Oh, man. So I think the only right thing to do is to exploit that vulnerability by putting it on the internet for other people to laugh at. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from watching Tosh.0 and scanning YouTube videos, that's what you do with people's vulnerability. Uh, a, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this name correctly. A Gaudium Manet. Yep. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he, he posted a Spotify playlist. You go to it, and <laughs> the playlist is entitled The Love Hammer. Mm. And it consists of Ooh, MC Hammer's oh, okay. You Can't... <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. And there's a picture, and I can't talk about it. Uh, it features MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This, 
five times in a row. And he comments uh. that it gets the ladies every time. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Wait, saying you can't touch us gets the ladies? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's... Maybe it's your plane hard to get. Right. Which the ladies like. Right. Yeah. It's all a mind game with the mm-hmm. ladies. Yeah. Why can't you just tell us how you feel? <sighs> well, that one girl did in a mixtape where she sang she, all the songs. Right. Yeah, she laid why. it out. Yeah. And that is well, that's too, too much. Too many feelings. Wow. Uh, Kiki Pounds on here says that any guy could have just uh, burned her a copy of the Will Smith's Big Willie style. She uh, she has lo- love songs, club hits, references to everybody's favorite movies. Um, it even has its own Miami. story. My own story arc. Great cities. And she said she knows every word to every song on that album. That's impressive. It is. It was a good album. Ooh, I like this playlist from Logan Light. This is, he says, this is an actual mixtape that I would play for potential love interests <laughs> and titled Playa, P-L-A-Y-A, Playa Made Volume 1. Playa made, so it's made by a player. Logan's sure. a player, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, got, I love it that he makes no no bones <laughs> about it. Ladies, this is what you get into. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> this this album's got two Casey and JoJo songs yeah. on it. Yeah. So <laughs> you, lady, okay. If a guy hands you a, a mixtape, that's one. It's called Playa Volume One. It, it's not even necessary. That's not even needs to be on there. All you got to do is know there's two Casey and JoJo songs on there. You got to know what kind of guy you're getting yourself into. With, hey, I'm not going to lie. I used a Casey and JoJo song to my advantage in the late 90s. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I think I broke through with a girl. Casey and JoJo sealed the deal. I, I've got, I've got a, a soft spot for Casey and JoJo. Just imagine getting the disc and then seeing in Sharpie written on it, play made. Volume, volume one. one. Yeah. That's the key. You have to volumize them. I have the Cameron collection. I found several more this week, by the way. The Cameron collection, <laughs> volume one, volume two, volume three. I don't know. See, I, I since I used them for so many women, I think, I had to turn the tiling back toward me. Right. This this album came from So you Cameron. can recycle. So, so mm-hmm. if it didn't work out and right. they gave you Boom. it back, you could just hand it. Well, they the never gave it back, but it's like, you know, I got, you know, I would like design little covers. You know, I don't have to redo all the artwork just because the relationship didn't last with this girl. And the other thing is like deep in the back of your Smart. mind, it's like, I wonder if those now, that's what I call music guys. I wonder if they're ever going to be hiring if like <laughs> this would be good for a resume. Or maybe, maybe I'll just send some to them. Curator of the send. Cameron Collection, volume one through four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the Cameron Collection, because again, you want the girl to see your name be reminded of you when she's listening to the album. That's and true. between every song, you recorded yourself going, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Track three. <laughs> so All right, do the, do, the, do the list. This is a pretty good one. Uh, Play a Made Volume 1. I really want to see what Volume 2 and the so on are as well. But Volume 1, Track 1. Only You, Bad Boy Remix. That's a good one. Yeah, we got to hear a little bit of that. Uh-huh. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. Jesus, the notorious just. Please us with your lyrical thesis. We just chillin', milk em, top billin', silkin', pure linen, meekin', little seeds. Track two, Cupid. Track three, I want to get to know you, Casey and JoJo. Yeah. Tell me it's real, Casey and yeah, JoJo. Yeah, we need to hear some of that. That's yeah, a good one. That's a great one. Baby, keep it real. Let me know just how you Someone like you, Uncle Sam. I don't know that not, song. I'm not so sure. You make me feel like Uncle Sam. He does back-to-back artists on this. Uh, on bended See, knee. That, that's the first clue. That's not a good mixtape. Yeah. To do back-to-back same artists. Mm-hmm. You know, you have one twelve back-to-back. Casey and JoJo back-to-back. No, 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 no. Yeah, spread not, that out. Yeah, spread yeah, that out. Really my, my favorite part is after the, the, this. The player made volume one is only nine tracks. In. Mind you, mm-hmm. and after and he, he doubles up my, nine it. tracks, yeah. he just put us to the bottom. I killed it. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he did. <laughs> like he typed the nine, looked them over once again, thought about the late nineties, and thought, "I killed it, man." <laughs> I well, own I think this thing. I think like he's, a boss. I think he's able to get away with that statement that he killed it because of track nine, "Fallen" by Montel Jordan. Mm-hmm. There's something about that. So Montel made songs other than This Is How We Do It. Apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend you for never pl- said for, that. For, play, for players only. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, you need to, you need, there needed to, you know, you needed to prove you were a player. There it's was the a deep whole, cuts. There was an application process. Then you could get the secret track by Montel. <laughs> cool. David Michael Moore of David Caruso Feedback Fan <laughs> <laughs> uh, has took all the goodwill that he... <laughs> 
<laughs> that he built up for those hilarious one-liners and unfortunately threw it all away with this mixtape. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it does contain Incubus, Nelly, a Jamiroquai oh. song that is not virtual insanity. You had me at Nelly. Uh, you're not allowed to write in anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Block his IP. So apparently people who have very developed David Caruso palettes have very poor musical palettes. Mm. Well, that's the trade-off, you know? Sorry, David Michael Moore. You can't win them all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'll do it for your feedback. It's time for this week's... Editorial question of the week. Hey. All right, so earlier we got, uh, we got sidetracked talking about 3D printing and the impending robotic singularity Apocalypse. of things the uh yeah i gotta thinking like you know if you had a 3d printer you know let's say they got a little cheaper 2000 still a little high let's say the technology you know refines itself in the next couple of years and you got a, yourself a 3d printer how would you use it what would you use it for what would you do with your 3d printer that's what we want to know I'm, I'm just going to throw something out there yeah. ever since i was a kid I remember one time when I was a kid, we went to like the Smithsonian or something, and I went to the gift shop. So you would print out the Smithsonian artifacts. <laughs> It'd be a big printer. A, a dinosaur. Dinosaur bones. <laughs> the Wright Brothers plane. Yeah. <laughs> a woolly mammoth. Um, no. What, what happened is we went to the gift shop, and you can buy little knickknacks of, of things. And I can't remember even which one it was. But somehow I, I, I obtained a boomerang, you know, like that they would show – that was used to, like in the Australia. I don't. I don't remember the context. Somehow during a museum visit, I bought a boomerang, and I think as a kid, you always had this in your mind that all you got to do is chuck this thing, and it's going to come back to you. Yeah. It takes like four throws, and it's stuck in a tree. <laughs> end of boomerang fun. If I had a 3D printer, I would make a boomerang and keep perfecting it until it actually work like it does on TV. I think they do work if you do them right. Well, here's the thing. I don't have the patience or the time to learn. But you would have so, the patience to develop the plans, print it, try it, refine it, print it again, refine it again, rather than just sitting there watching a few YouTube tutorials and practicing with the boomerang you already have. Yeah, because at the end of one, I <laughs> yes. sat on a couch watching YouTube videos for like three hours. At the end of the other, I got like 25 boomerangs that I've been crafting and you know putting cool stuff on. So I'd go with that one. Gotcha. Well, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure there's a whole section of our audience that will be printing slide whistles. It's true. You know, uh, but true. I think that I would print like my favorite movie memorabilia, stuff that like you could never get, limited. That's interesting. So you design and print like the hoverboard from Back to the Future. Yeah, right? yeah. Or See, the, the Batman it, costume. I, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to throw cold water on you. Right. But the cool thing about memorabilia is that it's memorabilia, that it wasn't just churned out by... People don't you know, know that. I put it in a glass, you know... A glass case in my hallway, and I can say this is the original leather jacket worn by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's lame. Let me tell you, it's not lame. Squirrel suit with those with the streamer on the feet, so I leave red stripes across the sky, jetting around your neighborhood. Here he comes. That's true. All these things that you can't, yeah, you would never buy. If if this was around when I was a kid, I may be in some weird profession right now. You know, like a, like a professional squirrel suitor that puts the little <laughs> go cam on his head and makes sweet YouTube videos. That could be me. Hmm. I think I was born in the wrong generation. Yeah. Your, your kid, your kid will think you're having a live son, on. And, and, well, maybe uh, your kid will print a new version of you, you know, when he's in his 40s. And then that version of you oh, can yeah. do all these things. So do you think that that version of Jesse has Jesse's memories and personality? Well, you could probably Is it like Doctor Who? His yeah, you can brain. download it biologically. In, during the singularity right. and just inject it back into the new printer me. Mm-hmm. But either way, I'll tell you, whether it's me or printer me, one of us is getting a duck boat. <laughs> Some assembly required because it's quite large. You get a lot of little pieces you got to right. put together. Yeah. But you guys know what a duck boat is? Yeah, the is? duck boat that drives around the cities of Boston and then just goes right into the river? Yeah. 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 So you just want to be driving one around yourself. Yeah. Well, I live in an area where there's a lot of water and like bridges and like draw bridges and tunnels and stuff. Like right. I look at, like I'd be sitting in traffic, just be looking at everyone. I'd be like, so long suckers. <laughs> Beep the horn, just drive off road right into the water <laughs> without even slowing down and just drive away oh, via right. waterway. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I found myself in one of my procrastination late nights. It might've been the night before the vigilanteism. Um, I found myself in a wormhole researching hovercraft on eBay. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're pretty expensive, yeah. but you can get a, you can get a good, 
hovercraft. Good quality, pretty fast, about 15,000. Have you seen the 360s those things can do? Oh, pretty sweet. Oh, really? Pretty sweet. <laughs> Let me ask you that again. Did you see the 360s? <laughs> because when you said pretty sweet, it made me think you didn't. <laughs> like you may have read about, like they can do really sweet 360s, but you didn't see it because it was really sweet. <laughs> they're hovering and they're, you go fast and jerk the wheel and they do a bunch of cool 360s. So. It's about Pro- the epitome. Worth it. It's about the epitome, and and the whole thing of like they uh, you're on the water, you're going and you go toward the beach, and you run up on the sand and turn it around and go back into the water. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of the that all you can do with a hovercraft. I mean, it's definitely cooler than the duck boat. Yeah, I'm but, wondering. But, that's but why the duck boat is probably street legal. I don't know about the hovercraft. That's true. That's true. The hovercraft needs to get a stronger lobby. Yeah, I'm I'm not into you know trying to get legislation passed i know i know the limitations of the duck boat and i'm okay with it <laughs> you can't do sweet 360s in a duck boat that's true well they won't be very sweet right. yeah you, you could be very slow like around a cul-de-sac <laughs> and it'd probably be like a three-point turn it's so pretty long yeah. you gotta you can do parallel made parking. To load a lot of people in there yeah oh man all right so we want to hear your feedback what would you do what would you make with a 3d printer what would you do um, head over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. You can post your replies right there. Or you can tweet us at Relevant Podcast or hit us up on Facebook as well. Many thanks to Caitlin Crosby for talking to us. Find out more about The Giving Keys at uh, their website, thegivingkeys.com. And you can also follow them on Twitter at The Giving Keys. And thanks also to local natives. Uh, check out their brand new album, Hummingbird. Uh, it's available everywhere and at thelocalnatives.com on Twitter at Local Natives. Thanks for our sponsor, Audible.com, for sponsoring Jesse's line. On that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Maya Strang. I'm Calvin Kearley. I'm Jesse Carey. Sorry, I was about to send you guys a video of some guy doing 360s in a hover. (laughs) (laughs) Chad, just prepare your email. (laughs) That's Chad Michael Snavely. We'll see you next week. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Go follow us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast. And for more great content, check out relevantmagazine.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why the internet was invented.